Hi folks, I am Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 14th of January 2018. What a week it has been since the last talk, with all the working outside and the incredibly <laughs> sub-zero temperatures. Tremendous north winds too, oh, bringing the, the real temperature way down to way below, I'm sure minus 30 or 40, way below that. That's quite a saga, but I won't go into it all, except that a job that I paid for was certainly hashed up, and I had to go and put a new pump in, power steering pump, and then cut out a massive chunk of steering line, power power line basically, that had been, I was told that it was fine from the garage, and it was just oozing oil right through it, like, like a cobweb basically, it was so rusty. But I cut it out, and I, I was what a job getting in the snow too. I don't have a garage, and those temperatures as well. Until your hands are literally sticking to the tools, it's so cold. And I think I mentioned last week my eyelashes were sticking together with the frost. It was so bad as your breath comes back on you to your face is white. But uh, that's desperation for you when you get stuck like that. So I, I prefer, naturally, in the good weather, to do things myself on the vehicles because my experiences in garages have been pretty horrific. Really, that's a fact, from even the very first car where I was taken out to a party at the time, a long, long time ago, in the UK. And it was my birthday, and this girl said to me, better go back, we're all in the, we're all in the bar, you see, they're all buying me drinks because it's my birthday. It's okay, she was driving. And went to the garage where they were going to just tack on, just tack on by welding tack, these rockers that I'd put on already with, you know, pop rivets and so on, just to hold it there to save cash and all that. So all they had to do was put it up and tack it along the edges, along the rockers. And we left this bar, and I can just kind of remember going in, and then the manager rushed up to me, and he, and he says... Some some strange, they apologised, I wasn't ready, blah, 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 and it might take a whole day to do it. And I was just feeling so great and all that. I thought, oh, no problem at all, that's all I could make out. And I thought, thought nothing of it. And and, and uh, the next day, this, this girl says to me, you're the coolest guy I ever met. And I says, well, that's great. That's great. I thought it was really pumping my ego a long time ago. That's when I had a bit of an ego. And she said, uh, she says, uh, she kept saying it, and I said, well, come on, it wasn't that bad. I mean, the guy couldn't finish the job. She said, well, no wonder. She said, that car that you saw in the garage when you went in had dropped off. They'd dropped it off. The, they hadn't put the handbrake on. And they were standard cars. You had to put the handbrake on, standard gear shift. And it had rolled off the, the lift that they put on way up there and landed, landed and crashed on its side. So that car, that, and I'd seen this car. I'd never dawned on me it was mine. Because I saw it from the, from the underneath it, it was on its side. It never, never even penetrated my head at the time that it was mine. But she thought it was so cool, and that was the only sort of benefit from that. But I've never had, never had a decent experience with garages. Never. And after that, of course, that particular car, eventually, about a month later, I noticed from people following me that it was a slight wobble because the half uh, axle had been, had been damaged. And that's what happens with me when cars, if I take them in, that is. So that part right now is almost done, finished that, that job almost, for the time being anyway. 
but anyway, as I say, what, what, what weather to be working in? And what weather do you have in the first place, isn't it? We've got tre- tremendous sub-zero temperatures because of global warming. And uh, this is the farce of, of it all. But again, remember, I've given so many talks on the history of the eugenicists, the world controllers, who met in London, different agencies, of course, long before the Club of Rome was even formed. They were a later addition to it. And I think tanks they had before it with Paul Ehrlich and so on. Remember Paul Ehrlich's wife? She actually was on the board of the Club of Rome. That's why he was writing all the books about the coming ice ages and the, the population bomb and all that kind of stuff because that's the key to it all. The whole idea of getting everyone to give up all the rights and freedoms is because these characters have decided long ago that they're going to take charge of the world. I've met some of them. And some of them are awfully nice, pleasant people to me. But they literally believe it's their duty and right to, to start reducing the population drastically. I think I mentioned before, one of them I met, and I knew, but I'd, I'd met her outside a, a country general store. And she's come back from China. She worked for the educational system for Canada. But she also got tremendous time off to go across the planet, I guess, under these UN kind of deals and so on. But she was studying the population techniques of bringing down the populations in China, which is pretty drastic, of course. But she, she was telling me about it quite matter-of-factly. I says, but what gives you the right to, to want to, to force this on Canadians and other people? She says, with a kind of shocked expression, well, somebody has to do it. And that's how it's done. This is not speculation about what they're up to. It's, it's happening. <laughs> so the, 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 they came upon the idea of scaring the people through climate, oh, desert conditions or, or coming ice ages. And then they changed that when, it, when nature wouldn't comply to, to, to global warming. We're going to all turn into a desert and fry to death. And, and they just can't get it quite right. But it doesn't matter because they're, they're trained. They have trained, remember. Uh, people who are now in their 20s, fr- from the age of about four or five, They've trained them to be little greenies and to believe all this stuff. And, and, and education is good. It's good indoctrination. It's well done. It's, remember, that when they, if you ever look at the teacher's toolkits, they call them, online, they've got all this, these PC agendas to, to teach the children. And the toolkits tell them how to put it across to the children, to embed it, basically, in their minds all different kinds of things. And they use, of course, video and all the rest of it too, and music along with the video with the ominous sounds of oh, whole trees, whole forests just collapsing and things like that. They never mentioned the fact that down in the States, a lot of the forests just go on fire. But uh, no, they're all collapsing and being cut down by people. That kind of stuff. And then emotional, distressing things that they show them with animals dying, stuff like that. That's all to reinforce this idea that humanity is to blame for all of this. All of it. You know something? It, what, what is true is it truly is a miracle that we're here at all. Think about it. Just think about it. We, we take everything for granted that we're, we're here. I, I, I used to wonder, is it just me or does other people go through the same thing? Do we all eventually start thinking, or even at a young age, why does any of this exist at all? I mean, you don't have to be religious. If you're not religious, you can say, well, why is it? Well, it just came to being, you know, some cosmic uh, ray came out of nowhere. And there was a big bang. I don't know if it was a big bang, because in space you wouldn't hear it. 
it's a vacuum. But anyway, you get a big bang, and then enzymes were hit, of course, with electricity that came from, from all this kind of thing. And suddenly there's, there's, a, there's a, the, the precursor of an amoeba or a cell. Do you understand how long it would take to create anything at all by that method? It wouldn't happen because everything in the world, every life form, every cell in your body, is dependent on so many other factors to make it happen in the first place. It can't happen by itself. It needs other things to make it happen. And once it's happened, to keep it alive. So you, you wonder, does it, does, are there people really who'd never think about this at all? But when you really look at it all, what an incredible thing to have. We, we, and a, we're aware as well. We're aware. I can feel, I can look at all the other creatures out there and think, well, the ones that are not really aware that they exist as far as we know, they're the lucky ones, perhaps, because we've got this torture of trying to figure it all out. And then when you, when you have awareness, then you have, then you have sciences that come into play that have studied us. Because that's what science is, really, is studying and repetition and testing things out. And they constantly study our behavior, constantly, 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 from ancient times to the present. And every group studies them, every class studies the ones beneath it and so on, and even each other. And you'll find, even from the earliest times in different cultures, you'll find that even their religions were often tied in with materialism and economics. I remember even reading about uh, Siddhartha, Siddhartha, who was the, the, the Buddha. And his, his story, a nice, a nice story, a nice story of, of being brought up and his dad loved him so much, he, he, he made sure that everybody around this, this kind of castle area Everybody inside it was, was young at a certain age. Never, so he never saw anybody old or wrinkled or, or infirm or lame or anything like that. And, and he left it all, we're told. When you see rich folk doing it all the time. They give it all up, as you know. And they go off to help people. It's just their nature. They give away everything, just, just like that. And they go off and live in rags and stuff. You know, that's so we're told anyway. And anyway, Siddhartha went off. And at one point, though, he had... To earn some money at one point, I guess after he was sitting under the border tree and thinking a lot, he had to had to decide to get something, some cash. I don't know why. I don't know why, because generally holy men are given all the stuff they need in India. But anyway, he what he did, just temporarily, of course. He but he set up a stall in a market, and he said because of his Brahmanistic training. This is interesting because it's a little clue. The Brahmins, of course, studied human nature. And he knew, he knew who would buy what, uh, even if they walked away from him. He, didn't, he knew, he knew exactly which ones would come back because of the way he presented his wares to them and perhaps talked to them. He absolutely knew with, with certainty that they'd come back and buy the, the objects that he had displayed. So merchandising is a big, big part, naturally, of understanding human nature in order to sell your wares. Look at the massive advertising industry today. Massive. It's incredibly huge. And all your data has been sold to them, too, uh, from your internet uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, all, all the stuff you look at, blah, 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 and all the ads here and so on, and the, the things you click on, it's all profiling, etc. And that's sold off to advertisers who then bombard you with particular things that they might be, have to offer you to, to sell to you.
Incredible studying, really, isn't it, when you think about it. But isn't it sad? Isn't it rather sad that as we get more and more and more materialistic, which is, of course, the opposite of the real adversary of it all, which used to be a, a spiritual way of life, which never worked out really for most folk either, unless you walked away from society. But even in the medieval times, the, the different friar groups and, and monk groups uh, that were across Europe, unfortunately, they might, a lot of them started off with the best of intentions. A lot of them started off really helping uh, the folk around them in the communities, and, and they would help to feed the poor and all the rest of it. But they end up getting so many donations given to them by the wealthy nobility who saw it as an insurance policy. They'd buy their way to heaven by having the monks pray for you. They would dislike to happen. Exactly the same thing happened in ancient Egypt, you know, with nobility and the different priesthoods that existed then. Exactly the same thing. So they end up getting pretty well fat, and that's where, of course, St. Francis found when he came back from his wanderings to see some of the monasteries that he'd founded, and he couldn't believe how fat all the monks were. And he'd even brought in exercises to try to get him to lose weight, So even though you can go into the best of intentions and you're trying to be fairly austere and really help people, it did not work out for them. Because that used to be the the adversary of materialism was a spiritual way of life. It was like a, whoa, let's stop and think about this before you just bang on ahead with commerce and economics and and, and the class system. So it's kind of sad in a way that, that it all goes the same way, isn't it? It's kind of sad that. But there were genuine people too. There gets a lot of bad press about the, the crimes and all the rest of it, as they say, of the different big churches. But it wasn't all like that. There were really decent people in it too. Of course there were. And there were many, many good priests and monks and so on who worked at the bottom and, and really believed in what they were doing and didn't get fat and, and really did help uh, the, peer, the people as well. Long before, remember, too, I mean, back at there, there was no social agencies going out to try to get you on as clients. They get well paid themselves to these social agencies. Everything now is a career, eh? There's no such thing as a vacation. But it's a career and you get a lot of money. And we're in trouble because of it. Because everything is out of sight now and, and it's fallen apart. Because of the, the whole idea of, let's say, if a vacation is out the window. At one time, doctors, you remember, generally came from the wealthier families. You know, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And they did it really, a lot of them a lot did it because they didn't really need the money. They did all the pioneering work and all the rest of it. But as Carl Quigley said, uh, he, he did good articles on, unfortunately, what would happen in these fields where a lot of people would come in from, say, the middle classes eventually and take it over. And they'd be, they'd be so greedy to get up there that they would start pushing and pushing up the rates, etc., until the system can become unworkable. That That's happened across the board. It's, and you can't blame the people either. You can't blame me. Look, look at the nurses you get. The nurses in the UK used to be, be thunderstruck at the salaries they were getting over in the US, and a lot of them left to go to the US big paychecks, where in Britain we're getting paid peanuts, but at the same time, they come out of the old Florence Nightingale era, where it was a vocation, it was almost like a duty that you had chosen to do, and so they didn't get paid much at all, whereas now, of course, it's out of sight as well. Same with social workers, 
the same kind of thing. It was something people were called to do, you might say. But not now that you go into it because you can make big bucks and, and, and it was in it for career advancement. So we're in a stage today that things cannot last forever. We know that too. But so do the people who own us and rule us. And we are owned and we are ruled by much, much higher powers than people suspect. As long as we just earn our little bit of cash and keep our mouth shut and buy and consume and don't criticize anybody today because everybody's scared of being offended or being offensive, which is nonsense, of course. But that's where it's all going. But as long as you do that, keep your mouth shut, just consume and, and stay pretty fit or, or you're, you're doomed, you're finished. That's where it's going. If you're fairly poor, that is. Because things are really changing fast to do with the agenda. The agenda, as I've mentioned it before, and it's all in my internet archives section, cuttingthroughmedias.com. So many talks on this from the sources themselves, not speculation, not people writing about it through and speculating with bits and pieces, but from natural sources, from governments, from agencies working for governments and so on, and publications where they talked quite openly about a new definition of equality of life, for instance. Understand something right off the bat here. We are trained to react in a Pavlovian way in the system in which we live by those who have power or who have loud voices or those who want to take over or whatever it happens to be. That's, that's constant with, with what happens in life. Look at the nonsense with all the party systems we've heard in all the countries. It's, it's a joke today. It was a joke before I came to Canada from, in Britain. Enough wise people had, had looked at the whole system and saw how corrupt it was. All parties. Remember, the psychopath sniffs the wind, and he knows who's going to, where the people are going to go next. And so they'll become left-wing or right-wing, whatever it happens to be, they go that way. And, that's, and they, they can change parties when they want, mind you, if, if they can't get an advancement fast enough. But psychopaths are very good at that. Very good at that. So... That they have devalued life, of course, in the past. And we know, we know, and I've gone through the stories before, long before Germany did it, with its racial hygiene thing, and, 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 it's, and, and it's killing off, euthanizing the infirm and mentally what they called retarded or subnormal. And these kind of things. That all came from the UK. It came out of the Darwinian projects that, took, that really set the whole stage going. And people know this. I mean, Darwin, in, in, the, in the year of Darwin and Karl Marx and all of that, it all comes together in the, into the 20th century. And you see the revolutions and you see the socialism, the rise of socialism. Socialism in the Fabian society and so on, it was to do with how will you manage the population of the world and into workable classes, you might say, the distribution of labor. And then the belief that experts from academia would run society in a more efficient way. That hasn't changed, and it's really all around you today. But they'll never say, oh, we're, we're euthanizing the people. Or uh, we're, we're categorizing people who are elderly and working out how much money you spend on them, which they have done, by the way. In, all the, in Britain, and, and I know in other countries too, and here as well, this is where I am now, I'm pretty sure of it. And they're copying the British system. The British system was a trial system for national health care. And the national health care system worked great at the start in Britain. It really did. 
very efficient, short waiting times, and so on. But once again, they got into this, 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 this let's get richer idea of the professionals. And even in the nursing profession, in Britain, they copied the salmon scheme from America. And salmon was the idea of creating more and more divisions in a hierarchy of nursing staff, like nursing officers, until it was top-heavy with them, not with the costs. And then everybody else below that says, well, if they get in that way, we want that too. And then the, union, the, the, the unions, which at one time were pretty well weak, became powerful, and they all went for it too. And then the doctors and all the rest of it went on strike, I think, in Britain at one point. Up goes the cost. Up goes the cost. Everybody wants to be rich. Until it's ridiculous what a lot of the fees that they charge for the simplest things. Simplest things. And once you get a label on you, such a specialist as a doctor, it'd be thousands of bucks just for you to cross the floor and go through the door (laughs) before anything else happens. And what a great job to be guaranteed by the taxpayer that that's going to get paid to you, that fee. And it's, it's really sad, really, really sad. And then the corruption, it goes into it too. There's a lot of corruption. They've had it in Canada, they've had it in Britain elsewhere, because each GP, each doctor has this catchment area, and so many people are signed in his area, even if he only sees a few of them in a year. Uh, and the, the government, take, they can't send people out to, to, to check out all their, their, their claims of who came to see them. So they take their word for it. There's some doctors who are charging millions of, dollars, millions of pounds a year. Way over... Not just a catchment area, but everybody in their area, thousands of them must have been sick at the same time to come and see them. So corruption, we're living in a corrupt age again, where tyrannism is taking over. And it, it, this gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Most GPs today, general practitioners, simply are a hub. They refer people to the specialists. Whatever you go in with, oh, you know, you can, so they give you a little chitty to go and see so-and-so. A specialist. It's sad, isn't it? And so many doctors today don't even really know their medicine. They don't. At one time, if you went to the hospital, you got complete physical examination. Physical. Hands-on. We were looked at from head to toe, literally. Not now, not now. It's all blood tests and this and that. It's all from results from things, as opposed to what the doctor looks at. That's pretty sad. It's like Idiocracy, they had that in Idiocracy, the movie, the comedy, where you go in there eventually and, and they won't even speak to you. They'll have a sign there, a chart there with like a, a, a red part of an E and that's an arrow pointing at it and you pick the one that you want. Oh, that's it, okay. And away you go. Really? But the thing is, they have basically devalued life. And they don't want you to ever, and they give you new terms for it, you see. It's always new terms. Because you don't want to be associated for, but with what it is. You're being written off, just like hygiene, you know, physical hygiene that's unpleasant from the World War II associations. And by the way, don't think that what wasn't happening too in the communist countries. All the socialist countries were up to this same, same dodge. In the communist countries, there was no welfare given to you. You either worked or you starved. That was the idea. H.G. Wells, Bertrand Russell, they also talked about it. And George Baron Shaw, they all talked about the same things. 
that the system they would bring in would not be an easy ride for anybody. If you were existing, you'd better do what they told you to do, whatever they told you to work at, or else you'd be literally was dead. <laughs> Long before us, as he Hitler came along. That's unpleasant to think that, isn't it? That all those ideas had already been discussed with those in academia and in powerful institutions that were labelled as socialist. And that's why they went to so much work after, after, actually during and after World War II, to try to create new terms for, for, for being socialist. But it always ain't, now they can go back to it again because no, people think now it's a nice, nice thing. It's, it's like social. We're, we're a social people. We're, we're social in nature. We like to shake your hands and meet people. We're social. Big difference from what they mean when they say socialist. The planned society. The organized society. The managed society. Birth to death. Well, how do you get that? Well, you've got to get something to give them up, up all their rights. And it has to be global. H.G.L. said that. After World War I, they haven't given up their sovereignty. All the nations. The war wasn't enough to do it. He said, we need another war to make them happen. Then after World War II, he said, again, we'll need another war. They still haven't given it all up. The global government, he wanted. The parliament of man, the old idea. And they haven't given up at all. But since folk have been unwilling to give it up, and they keep harping on, remember, too, you have to understand that eugenics and population control went hand in glove from the beginning. Even pre-Malthus, Thomas Malthus, with his charts and diagrams of how the world would be, would all be standing in each other's heads by, oh, by the oh, just after about 1900, would all be literally just one foot square to walk in or something or live in. Never happened. Doesn't matter. And all the, the different programs that the Prince Philip is involved in and who's the head of all the different wildlife organizations and so on, is all to do with population control. All of them. When you go into them and you listen to the speeches, you harped and harped with everyone but population control. Bringing down human population. And he said it in some of his talks. One was done in Switzerland. And he came out and he said it quite blatantly. He said uh, quite openly. He wasn't ashamed of saying it because he was speaking to a peer group who were all in the same thing. Into the same thing. And he said, what happens when you get too much game in a certain area? like deer, whatever, and they're overpopulated area and uh, eating too much of the grass or bark or of trees or whatever it happens to be, he says, well, you have to have a cull, and it's the same as with people. Therefore, if you can't demand of people to voluntarily not have children, then you have to do it in other ways. That's, that's what they said, and bring down the population. It's no coincidence that with all of the the pesticides and herbicides and the GMO and so on, and chemicals added to foods. It's no surprise that we're going sterile. And believe you me, they know darn well that, that, that why they're going sterile in the West. It's planned that way. There's no crisis about it, none at all. Just as there's no crisis about cancer escalating like crazy into even younger and younger age groups. There's no crisis about it. And I've said so many times before, if the farmer watches his, his, his animals suddenly get some kind of strange malady and die, start dying younger, where he'll, he'll spend pretty well he's got to try and save the herd and find out what's causing it. So when it's not happening by our managers and owners, our farmers, then obviously they know what's causing it, and, and therefore it's planned that way. 
That's a fact. That is a fact. But that's the world we live in. It's vastly different from the way you're trained to perceive it through perception management. And the Club of Romans have said they came up, they were given the task to find a way, since they weren't given up all their freedoms and rights and so on, and let themselves be managed by professionals. That's the key to it, isn't it? Rather than politicians say things, we don't believe politicians anyway, they're born liars. Of course they are born liars. I'll touch on that later too. The thing is, once you bring academia on board, to bamboozle you with science, then they can tell you in ways you'll never understand why you should just volunteer to be sterile and volunteer to be managed by professionals and agencies and all the rest of it. Then it's different, isn't it? Then they always give you scary scenarios. That's from, from all the different articles they put out before. They, they actually say it themselves. We've got to give the public scary scenarios about the weather and famine and drought, etc. To terrify the people. So even when you get rainfalls now, oh, it's going to be a massive storm. Oh, you, know, you get half an inch of rain. And uh, it sounds better when you say millimetres. It sounds much, much bigger. But um, same with snow and everything else. Middle of winter, you get snow. And oh my God, oh my God, you know, you've got four inches of snow. Yeah. How awful. Right now they're hopping on about Australia. I've been, oh, just, just soaking in. Oh, the heat. Uh, hoping that you forget in Australia it's the middle of their summer as you're freezing here in your winter. All kinds of little tricks getting played, of course. And that's how you do it, through deception. If you want to get people to give up their rights, you must deceive them. Except for the children, they're already deceived very easily because they believe what they're told in school. Why would adults lie to them? It's perfect. That's where they always go for children. All, every tyrant and every totalitarian regime has gone for the children. And once you get them raised to about 20, 25 years of age or even 30, you got it made. The other ones will start dying off. It's quite simple. This, what I'm saying to you isn't my idea of it. This is how they discuss it themselves. The futurists, the ones who plan it. Plant it all with academia. And they have huge organizations that studying, studying us all the time in all the universities. And how to create mass movements. They even have massive think tanks. There are supreme think tanks that work for the foundations that work out the strategies for the other thousands of non-governmental organizations, which are the armies for the think tanks to use and the foundations to use to force and give appearance to everybody else how the world is changing in certain directions. It's all for appearance. Well, if they're all on board with that, then maybe you should be too. That's how it's presented, you see. Just like we, you saw the, the color revolution they tried in Iran there. And luckily, the, the, for, for the people there, and I'm not, I, I don't get into the politics of everything. I'm saying luckily for the people there. Cause I don't want to see Iran also going into the Stone Age. By the US or anybody else for that matter. The mass slaughter that's happened across the Middle East for years and years and years and years and years. And all, all the way into, into Syria now, I mean, Iraq, it was, even the articles they had out were bombing it into the Stone Age. And Kissinger talked about it too, and Brzezinski, and they said they preferred that literally it'd be so dysfunctional, if all, everything was destroyed, that it would end up with little groups fighting each other forever and ever and ever. Never, they could never unify into a country again. What a great goal to have, eh? There's humanitarian actions for you, hmm? I think we're all fed up with it, aren't we? Aren't we? We know there's big powers at play here. 
We know that. But what I'm saying is, the professionals in the big think tanks, that, that put, and they can put out thousands of articles, and they do every year, straight into, into, the, into the media. And you read them or hear about them, or hear it prattled on television or something, then you, you, you say it often enough, you'll start to believe it. Well, I guess they can't all be wrong. Why not? <laughs> if the same lies told by a by, by hundred outlets, doesn't mean it's right. But that's a technique. You've been trained to believe in authority. And if it's said with authority by authoritarian characters, which are your main characters on the media, that's where they've kept all the old guys for years and years and years, the same faces, then it must be true. And you'll give, you'll believe them before you believe your own, your own, your own ability to perceive things. Oh, they must, I, I didn't really quite get the same impression myself, but they must be right. They're up there and I'm down here. That's how you think. I've mentioned too about all the, the handouts. Most stuff that the media comes out with all the time is literally handouts by the military, by government agencies. And government has lots of agencies and other ones which are, are seconded to them, outside agencies, all working to bamboozle you on many different uh, levels. Again, perception management. Just like Bernays said, he says, you know, don't make good products to suit the public because they want it. Change the public to suit your product. And so now you're sold rubbishy cars, which are got plastic bits all over the place that you don't see until they all bust or the sun melts them off where your exhaust pipe does. That's how it's done. Now, tonight I want to touch on a few things because I'm prattling on here, but... Here's one article. It's interesting. As it exposes something, which is true, it's very true. We've all, we don't need the article to tell us, those who, those who are aware and who are watching and who know. We don't need it. But this is from 2011. And it was from the University of Technology in Sydney, by, I think, Physorg, it was called, by physics, by, by the science group. It says that the new opinion makers, 2011, shorter deadlines, which we all knew, we can see it as it goes down the tubes in the media, and fewer staff are pushing traditional news outlets to publish increasingly superficial stories. Uh, I've been on about that for years now. Until now it's all half-naked females down the, down the side, or even across the, the main stories now, all the place in the British papers, to, to fill up space, I guess. And it says, Andrew Jaspin, editor of the new media channel, The Conversation, explains how academia is filling the void and providing the public with context and understanding about the issues affecting us all. Now listen to the double exposure here, because one is the truth, which we know, that the papers are getting more more superficial and junky, but it's going to lead you in to what the big boys, as I've said for years, have actually been doing and what they want to do, experts, bring in the experts. Now be all nice again. Since the media is in a state of crisis, declining revenues dragging down the quality and integrity of content on their TV, on radio and in newspapers. They're vital for an informed democracy. <laughs> well, yeah, they are. We've never had it. But as jobs in newsrooms are cut, coverage is increasingly superficial and reliant on wire copy, press releases and celebrity gossip. And true enough, that's all you get now. If it wasn't for Hollywood, they'd have nothing to tell you about. Because they've made whatever happens in Hollywood, even though they make up the stories, whatever happens there, news. That's not news. 
The vacuum, uh, again, they've trained the public to believe it is. The vacuum in the public debate is stark. People are hungry for information they can trust. <laughs> Beyond hungry. <laughs> Our skeletons are just disintegrating here. Journalists are very good at locating and highlighting problems. No, they're not, because they're all politicized, as we know, all, all the media is. Anyway, yet they fall down when it comes to producing solutions, and rightly so, because that isn't their primary role. The journalist is usually a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. He or she needs to be adaptable, etc., etc., and, and, and ready to, to, to be sent to any story and come back with the basic facts. Well, they don't even travel for it now. It's all done in offices. For deeper analysis about the development of ideas that can take matters forward, experts are required. So here you go. Experts are required. Does that sound, does it ring a bell? The merger again with academia. I've been proud about this for years and years and years. Where do we find them? In universities and research institutes. Here are the people with the knowledge and crucially the inclination and ability to look forward and develop proposals and solutions. Here lie the answers to society's most complex problems. <laughs> As public servants, academics have a duty to transfer knowledge and use their expertise to improve public policy and debate. So, okay, uh, are you going to give us a choice to vote for these characters now? Eh? They've always been behind the scene in this agency, this, this agency system we live in. It's all very well working for years on a crucial medical breakthrough or crunching the numbers to find out how big the Australian population can be before we reach breaking point. But if no one, bar a few academic colleagues, reads about the research, that vital contribution is lost. For too long, the academic and media worlds have been at odds. Journalists are increasingly forced to be superficial and keen to put a sexy headline on their story to drive circulation and hits, while academics can spend years in their ivory tower drowning under a sea of books, Disconnected from the real world They don't read books anymore do either. And the only thing that the, the academics that I know They're drowning is booze Anyway, says these cliches should be long gone The two worlds have collided Just as the media is pushing The boundaries of technology and bringing news From parts of the world that simply couldn't be Reached before So academics are increasingly engaging With the commercial world And policymakers and the public There are more opportunities now for academics to influence public debate. So, they, so they're using them, and we know this, to influence public debate. Television and radio situations are multiplying while the internet is ideal for people to disseminate and engage with information. So we want to have really good information from experts. You see, that's what it's all about, from those in academia. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? You get deeply informed, and then you get really good brainwashing about oh, the weather, the climate, and how there's too many of you in the world, and we've got to bring the population down from experts who say it with wonderful authority. The same experts that can bamboozle you with science and pseudoscience and, and really so much opinion all hidden amongst theory, which is just guesses. That's what a theory is. But they know how to do it, and they have agencies that actually teach them to put that across to the public. Quite something, eh? But that, that's an idea, just a little idea, very, very little, I'd say, tiny idea of what's going on here. And this is what goes on and on, of course, as they push this whole agenda here. Because in Australia and all the socialised countries, like Canada and Britain and so on, it doesn't matter what they claim the, the, the system is, a social, socialist system, then... 
they've already got all these characters on board and they make sure they're on TV all the time as well. And in the little, you know, casual, comfortable debates as they have it. And they'll sit around tables and look very relaxed. You, you have to look, part of being a professor is the ability to sort of lounge. Wherever you look, wherever you're sitting or wherever you're attending, if it's a round table or, or, or a, a nice little uh, easy chair somewhere in a room, you've got to be able to lounge. It's, it's almost like a sprawl, but it's a practice sprawl of, of being very, very laid back. Because you're professionally understanding, and you just know everything, and, and that's how you should be to the public. It's all practiced, actually. But there you go. Now, tying in again with too many of you. I've give, given too many articles before, years and years and years, of their agenda, from the, from the, the horses' mouths, you might say. And I hate to bring horses into it, because they're pretty decent characters. Health tourists racks up Britain's biggest ever unpaid National Health Service bill. After saddling in a hospital with £530,000 debt. Now, I've, I've heard this, I've, this is from January, again, this, this, this month, 2018. And I've, I've read articles like this for years, even before, even before they had the, the EU up in a parliament building that, that Britain was saying the same thing way back yonder, years and years and years ago. And it's never changed. And, and in fact, they had articles in the, in the papers in Britain when I was there which prattled on and on about, uh, oh, we can't go on like this. They're all coming from all over the world and, and getting operations, blah, 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 blah. And, and of course, when the agenda was, was never explained to the public until fairly recently, that you have no borders anymore in this, in this, this system. That was the idea. But you didn't want to tell the people at the time. They never tell you the truth at the time. No, <laughs> that's fact. That's just the way it is. But uh, this kind of thing is, is routine. And actually called it uh, welfare tourism. Uh, back 30-odd years ago in Britain. And they came from all over to get the highest welfare. And they still do. Anyway, so it says, uh, a non-EU, that's Economic Union patient, has racked up a bill of £532,000 after visiting a British hospital. The hospital wouldn't name the, the, the person um, that went to this Manchester hospital last year. It costs, it says that the figure per year of these unpaid bills from people who come in from other countries and then vamoose again, or whatever they do, that part of it alone is at least worth two two billion pounds per year, and I think it's a lot more than that, a lot more than that, absolutely, absolutely, because across the whole country, and Scotland's doing it too, and they're all doing it, and you know, that's who it is, and it's all from the taxpayer. Remember, somebody pays for it eventually. It's always the taxpayers. The ones that are still working. It said that it was, it was the hospital and the National Health Service Foundation Trust left with a debt of the five hundred and thirty-two thousand four hundred ninety-eight pounds. It says it's thirty thousand pounds more than the previous highest health tourist debts. So they've got a list of them on November for the last few years. In November two thousand sixteen, a forty-three-year-old Nigerian mother named Priscilla gave birth to quadruplets at London's Queen's, Charlotte's, and Chelsea Hospital. So uh, that was just, it wasn't far from the, same, from the same bill, actually. She intended to give birth to her family members live in Chicago, U.S., but she was turned away by the border officials. So she flew to Heathrow Airport and gave birth in London and hospital to chase of a bill of more than £500,000 after all of the treatment. It's incredible, isn't it? £500,000 even. Oh, 
but uh, another thing too, I've also said to people, if you really have something serious and you know you're going to go to hospital, and they give you time to book yourself in, seriously about it, actually. I'm not, I'm not telling folk to do this, remember. Put, this, put it that way. It'd be, this is what I might do. I would, I would book myself in to, say, a hotel like the Ritz, and I would hire for, for the, the weekend or whatever it's going to be a, a nurse because it would be an awful lot cheaper, awful lot cheaper than going to the hospital, even overnight, for what they're charging today. It's astronomical. Um, and it ain't the Ritz. And you're not going to be very happy there. Seriously, you think about it. The cost of, of just a, an overnight thing is just astronomical. And when you're in there now, if it's, not, if it's a health care system, as I say, that the categorize you off the bat. What's his age? Oh, well, okay, he's getting, going over the hill now. He's, you know, and uh, I don't give him the full treatment for that or whatever, you know. Blah, blah. They work it out. Oh, well, you only got so many years, you probably live. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how they treat you. And that, that is a fact. I've read the articles to you before. It's again, go into the archive session, cuttingmatrix.com, and you read them again. I'm not going to go over them again in an hour. It's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, there's no guesswork involved in what's going on. And in the hospitals, too, they'll actually tell you who should get resuscitated and who shouldn't. They put little tags on you in, in Britain. And I'm sure they do the same thing everywhere else, too. There's some court case going on in Britain right now where they, they put uh, the wrongly don't resuscitate on a, some young, young child, I think it was. And it wasn't, it wasn't that serious to begin with. So he died. Now, also, Britain, not, not just Britain, because Britain tries it and writes some copy. Uh, also, I've, I've given the stories out from the, the media where they pulled amazing dodges on the waiting list to try to get folk off the waiting list. Finding out, for instance, when they go on holiday. And, and then they send them mass mailings out every week on the particular, particular time to, to these people. Of course, they're on holiday, they won't get it to come in. And then, they, so they go back to the bottom of the waiting list again. Clever, clever, isn't it? But that's the, the deviant. That's how, everything's deviant, you know that? Everything's deviant in the system that's falling apart in a welfare-type system. And here's another one, too. Uh, Britain cancels 50,000 surgeries in its National Health Service face winter crisis. They're saying, that, oh, they've got nowhere to put the people, blah, 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 and they're scrambling for money, yada, yada, yada. But they, look at the article I just read you and the cost of, of, of someone going in, one person going in and having children and look at that kind of ability. <laughs> so there you go. Are you wonder? Do you wonder what was going on? The problem of child seasonal flu, beware of this winter's virus. Is it, we mean beware of it. If you only catch it, you only catch it, but you walk around, walk around with uh, some kind of massive microscope attached to your eyeballs or something. Beware of it. Oh, there's one there. I'll avoid that. Hmm? What rubbish, eh? What rubbish. Amazing, isn't it? And as you get that too, you also get articles like this. You can figure out where it's all meant to go. I hope you can, eh? Is there, is, is folk are going sterile and they want the wealthier folk to pay money and so on? Because then in eugenics, it's, it's the wealthier that, that they're obviously going to be the more successful, which means they're probably brighter. That's what they say in eugenics, you know. The brighter folk are, are the wealthier people. And therefore, the ones that should be saved and come through into the next system. Anyway, an artificial womb successfully grew baby sheep 
and humans could be next. Then they go on to, well, it's not quite ready yet for humans, and blah, 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 but of course that's where it's going. And I'm sure it's already been done elsewhere. Of course it has. Of course it has. Brave new world, eh? And as they're doing that, they're making sure that all the, other, all the rest of the people that they've trained not to have children and even have, I mean, hospitals at one time couldn't do anything that caused harm. That was what medicine was about. That was the Hippocratic Oath. was about that too. Do no harm. And now they're they're classifying pregnancy as a disease. Well, the big boys in eugenics have, of course. They they call it a disease. Oh, they're all having children. They're having children. You know, the ones who are complaining about it, they're wealthy. They're up there, you see. They're right. They've got better wives and IQs. And and we should live, and uh, that's okay. Anyway, new soft-touch abortions, listen to this, could uh, kill unborn babies in minutes. This is, this is like an ad, eh? But uh, it says, uh, soft-touch performs an abortion in minutes, virtually removing all the burdens of more conventional abortion methods. Developed by Harvard-trained physician, Dr. Joan Fleischman, it says soft-touch abortions are the least invasive op- abortion option for early pregnancies. And it says, um, according to earlyabortionoptions.com, it's used normally on women between 5 and 10 weeks of pregnancy. It can be performed up to 12 weeks of pregnancy per a doctor's discretion. It's only a small aspirator and flexible tube that removes the fetus from the woman's, you know, that's a baby, you know, a fetus, you know, from the woman's cervix. And don't think about that. Or go back to fetus and it sounds better. It's like a wart or something. And three to five minutes, it's a, it's a nuisance. Abortion produces almost no discomfort, and almost all women who have soft-touch abortions resume their normal activities within 15 minutes, the website claims. <laughs> How convenient, eh? You won't be waiting. Important things to do, eh? And it says, they call it non-invasive and natural in, in, the, in the website, and has other advantages over the abortion pill. It's 100% effective, it says. Allegedly does not negatively affect women's chances to conceive again in the future. Well, they all say that. And women also experience less cramping and bleeding than those who take the abortion pill. So there you go. The abortion will cost only about $1,200. It's amazing they can do that, eh? For, for, but to, to go and have a child, look at that one in Britain there, it's going to cost you. <laughs> it's going to bankrupt the nation, I think. Uh. And you can't figure out what it's, all, what it's all about, can you? This last two or three articles, eh? Can you? It's really, it's really something else. Really something else. Also, net neutrality is a big thing today because we, we know I'm getting throttled. Other folk get throttled as well. It was speeds and everything else. I've had it since I started, by the way. It says that it complies with European regulation, net neutrality, and so on. I'll, I'll give you the, the wiki one. They'll give you an article that says net neutrality opponents agree. FCC fake comments are a problem, and they go into both sides of it, the pros and the cons for net neutrality. But then you go into something I've mentioned before in different talks. Again, go into the archive session, cuttingthroughmedias.com, to do with why. Another reason why that you're not getting any really hard news today isn't just the people who are getting sued for offending people and all the rest of it, yada, yada, yada. It's also coming from the top, and I mentioned Lord Levinson, in Britain, who was given the task of uh, finding ways to get a muzzle the press. And it's still on the go. as the next part they want to push through. And Australia did the same thing. Every country has followed suit. Peers bid to force through second Levison inquiry is a threat to the press. This is Peers' table an amendment to the Data Protection Bill that could see Levison 
two held. That's the second part that it lives in two. I'll put that article up too for those who want to see what it's about. It says probes and subsequent trials resulted in more than 40 convictions. 40 convictions. 10 against journalists for, for different uh, th- things they were, into, they were doing in Britain at the time and were caught doing it. And it but they're also going into, into even further until you can't even give opinions as journalists. But that's where they really want to go with it all. But anyway, they had 40 convictions. Convic- there's, there's, there's justice to the justice business, right? 40 convictions they got out of the last, uh, the, the, the trials and so on, on, on the, I think it was the News of the World or one of these organizations. And it cost £43.7 million pounds for, for 40 convictions. Can you believe it? Everything is so incredibly corrupt. Another article. It, it, it's interesting to me because it's USA Today and it talks about uh, the fitness level being down and all the recruits again from the US into the military. And, and it gives you a chart as to the, the worst areas the, where, the, where the fitness is falling apart in some ways. It's, it's quite amazing to, to read it. And as they're doing that, this is from all the, all the movies too, that's why there are all, plenty of recruits going in these days from their Xboxes and so on. But in Britain, it says, join the RAF for the real thing, Xbox teenagers. So you, you grew up playing it all, and they're told the head of the Air Force says young gamers should take it to the next level by operating drones. He goes on about why uh, they can go from Xbox to the drones, and it's going to be helpful in recruitment and stuff. See, everything's militarized now, weaponized, isn't it? Everything is. Other article, too, is to do with law and order by the, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan talking to the Fabian Society and how he's going to, he and others are, are going to start to not putting people in prison for different things anymore. Ties right in, of course, as you know, if you think about it, think about it with the, the, the basically the legalization of all the drugs. Have you wondered about that? Things just happen, eh? the accidental view of history, it just suddenly happens. They throw their hands up and say, oh, okay, let's have drugs out. A Canadian marijuana maker is set to sell cannabis in several European countries after striking a deal with Denmark's biggest tomato producer. Aurora Cannabis, partnering with Alfred Peterson and Sun to produce cannabis for medical. It's all for medical use in Europe. They're going to sell it here in, this year in the, the drugs, the actual liquor stores, the government-run liquor stores in Canada. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> isn't it wonderful how things work together? Isn't it really great how, how literally... Yeah, all the ones who are against things and your governments and all the rest of it who, who, and all the systems that they made millions and millions, maybe billions of all the drug arrests and so on over the past are now pushing it forward and it's okay now, suddenly it's okay as they take all the other painkillers off the market by the way that's all, it's all coincidental too in Canada they've been taking away all the different painkillers etc off the market for prescription drugs but no, you buy buy cannabis now. Isn't that amazing? And they've all got all their bids in for who's going to sell it to you. And already, they know darn well that there's going to be big corporations that are going to take it all over. We know that. We know it. We know it. Of course, it was planned long ago. Anyway, here's another one too. They're, they're training the public. Now it's okay. Suddenly it's okay. Don't say junkies anymore. They have a heroin use disorder. So everything else too. You have a cannabis, you know, a cannabis, what, what they call that. They actually call it overprescription. Oh, I overprescribed myself last night. You know, overmedicate myself if you take too much cannabis now, you see. So suddenly, okay, it's okay. 
you're not stoned or you know out of it. You're, you know. And so they're training the public. Suddenly, okay. And then another one too, from the BBC, a couple of articles on the same thing on cannabis to do with Canada and other countries as well, and how it's getting pushed like you wouldn't believe. And again, how they're changing the public's conception of it, really, perception of it. Now, I'm not surprised. The cops and the politicians are joining Canada's cannabis business. Well, politicians, you know, they, they, uh, I won't even touch on them. I don't exist, you know. But the police, well, there you go too. Because everything is politicized too. Everything's career jobs. Go up the ladder and going into getting my police chief and maybe getting into politics there too. That's what, how they do it. You see, everything's the same now, isn't it? Must get up the world. More money. Get up the world. More money. So former police chief and conservative cabinet minister Julian Fantino speaks at his company, Alifia, it says, as Canada moves towards uh, legalizing recreational cannabis. Recreational, you see, it's not just medical. Hmm? There's a surprising group of entrepreneurs jumping onto the market, cops and politicians. And Julian Fantino, who was a police chief and now is a politician, is completely opposed to it in 2015 to marijuana and legalization. And he supported jail time for minor cannabis offences. But now, suddenly, suddenly, with all the, you know, flashing dollars and stuff, and, you know, he's now a cabinet minister in the former Conservative government. He's criticised the now governing liberals plan to legalise the drug, saying it would make smoke marijuana a normal everyday activity of Canadians. But November, along with with the former RCMP Deputy Commissioner, Raf Sokar, he opened Alifia, a health network that helps patients access medical cannabis. Oh, it's amazing how, how they can just, you know, it, 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 they become wiser to these things. You know, they, they don't change their mind. No, they get, become wiser and better informed, as they would say to you, you see. And richer, you know, oh, sorry about saying, oh, sorry, richer, yeah. There you go. But that's how it's done, isn't it? This is the system. I understand everything is corrupt now. There's no integrity left anywhere. That's through all society. It really is. It's all through society, this system of corruption. And that's all the kids see too. Everybody sees this in the movies and everyone else would get up there and get up there and be a winner, not a loser, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, if you're a good psychopath, you can, you can claw your way to the top. You'll claw your way up there all right. And everybody will love you because a good psychopath can charm everybody. The thing is, too, as we've lost our old system, which came from Europe, remember? It did come from Europe. We've lost it. The old, the old it doesn't matter what you think of religion, it gave you your basic do's and don'ts, which everybody grew up with, and it made you think once and twice about whatever you were doing. That's out the window now. And it isn't just... Uh, <laughs> These characters are going to get awfully, awfully rich of something. And I'm not saying yes or no for that. I'm just saying it just shows you that they have no integrity to stick with any conviction on, on anything. And it's true. They're going to make sure that no one can get real painkillers anywhere else. They'll take them all off the market on prescription. It's all planned that way. So much time for the people, eh? As you go down the tubes, the countries go down the tubes. For myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada... But it's still freezing, naturally, because it's winter. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.